Welcome to the sixth episode of Insert Title Here, the podcast aimed at leaders across the industry, asking them to think about issues a little bit differently. In our sixth episode first season run, we've been talking all about sustainability and today is no different, especially as this is going out on World Earth Day. So what are we discussing today? We're talking about the fact that France has some legislation coming through where they are offering cash for clunkers, basically subsidies on green transport if you trade in your car. We're going to be talking a little bit about the company that is literally making vodka bottles, toothpaste tubes, yoga mats out of fresh or thin air rather, let's not say fresh air, but out of thin air. And then we're going to be talking about monocultures and Oatly and why Oatly are drawing attention to the risks posed to their business by climate change. My name's David Savage. I'm your host of Insert Title here, the podcast brought to you by the Harvey Nash Group. So joining me for this sixth episode of Insert Title here, the series where we've been focusing on sustainability, and today is World Earth Day. Uh, I've got Mark Jacks and Carly Reid. First of all, Carly, um, you are the founder of Yearn, or Yearn Club. Do you want to just very quickly explain what that is? Yeah, we are a peer-to-peer marketplace to rent baby and kids items from local people in your community or make money from items that you don't need at the moment. So very much focused on that sustainability area and not going out and buying new things all the time. Yeah. So I think there's an element of we think of uh, waste being items that end up in landfill, but it's just as wasteful if it's left in a garage or the loft or that we're just buying stuff and all of the kind of production behind it when actually there's so much already in the community. Yeah. yeah. I've got a nephew who's three weeks old, so I should probably point my sister towards it. Yes, yes, please do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Mark, uh, you work at Nashtech. Do you want to very quickly explain what you do at Nashtech? Yeah, sure. We're part of the Harvey Nash Group and we focus on technology solutions. So effectively, we work with our customers to help them leverage technology more effectively. So whether that's building out custom solutions, whether that's embedding technical teams in there to scale their capability or helping them be more efficient in their business processes. Um, We work with our teams in Vietnam um, to to help them deliver on their business KPIs and help them solve solve their challenges. Cool. Thank you. Right. Well, look, if anyone's been following this series, hopefully by now they'll know that I just pick out three articles that I think are interesting all around sustainability. So starting with the next web, um, in France, there are proposed laws to basically give citizens $3,000 to get rid of their car and get an e-bike. I didn't realize that this is on the back of successful schemes in Finland, for example. Uh, So there's a clash for clunkers scheme um, where they do a thousand um, euro rebate. 3,200 applicants so far opted for uh, 2,000 e-bikes, about 1,000 new cars with cleaner emissions, 100 people for public transport tickets. I didn't even know these policies were out there. No, I didn't. (laughs) Part of it is incentivizing people. I I think if there's more opportunity and awareness, people are taking the options that allow us to live a little bit more sustainably. But sometimes you can't afford it. Some of these things do come down to cost and convenience. And so, you know, none of us are perfect and we're trying. But actually, if there's a way that um, we're incentivized and they contribute to that additional cost, then I think people will be willing to swap, swap things more easily. No, I think that cost is a really good point. I was reading behind a lot of this that... Um, finance and the economical drivers are so much bigger than environmental still which is which is disappointing but a real factor of life um 
uh, around all of this. And I also think these are things that are just sort of the tip of the iceberg as well. So helping cycling adoption, the whole raft of things underneath it that are coming into place, everything from you know increased online delivery to meaning you don't need a car to go and pick up your local shop through to, I guess, massive developments by the likes of Tesla in driving down the cost of batteries, for example. So for me, this, this was a really interesting headline, but what was underneath it was so much more interesting. And then it also extends out into health, right? So it's an, it's getting more people out cycling. We're not sitting. So it's the Im- impact on the environment and all those things you just mentioned, but also the impact on us and our lifestyles because it will get people to be more active. And then it will have a kind of ripple effect in that area as well, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever driven through France or Paris, but um, I certainly fancy being in a car rather than on a bike during that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You say that though, right? I don't, I don't know. The the Velib in France or the, or in Paris always to me feels a little bit safer than uh, Boris bikes in London. Like yeah. London, like, it's all very well saying you know get an e bike or get a scooter or whatever else, but you go to a European city and they are far easier to navigate. Obviously, they're generally more compact, but London to me just doesn't feel particularly safe cycling around it. It's, you could put a scheme in place, but only kind of really the serious cyclists are the ones that are going to do like the commute to work right yeah yeah, I think it is terrifying at times I lived in New York for a while we used to cycle to work and but I kept to the highway and then as soon as it got into the roads that go across the city there was one road that I would take and that was it there was no crossing for lanes of traffic it's just yeah the, the streets aren't always designed um designed for it so maybe there's that the incentivization there as well as the safety aspect needs a little bit more investment here in the uk well it's it's definitely like a thing of of two tracks isn't it you've got to invest in the infrastructure to make these cities and and places suitable if you're then going to get people to go yeah all right i will get an e-bike because that makes that makes sense i I could do that Mm -hmm. i think there's an element like you say around critical mass if I go through this, for example, the streets of Amsterdam, where cyclists are, you know, the main traffic, everything seems to fit around the sort of cyclist and the cycle lanes. There's a greater awareness of it and everything down from, you know, safety through to bike security and where you leave your bikes is um, it's a lot more accessible. It's a lot more e- easy to do. Bristol seems like quite a, a, a trendy city. Um, I went there for a, for a mini stag a few years ago and you got third pints everywhere and it all felt very kind of. Yeah, slightly more on trend. I mean, is is do you see kind of more people cycling around Bristol? Is that kind of something that you know? Because London, I think, is a, is a is a weird beast. But I, I guess regional cities could make real headway, right, with stuff like this. So I, Bristol, it's a strange one. Bristol, um, two two big universities, and there is you know I think the public transport actually is pretty poor. Having to, sort of two daughters, they they tell me that you know the part it, it's difficult to get around. It's also a hilly city as well, which makes cycling quite interesting. But there has been, um, back in October 2020, there was the launch of VOI, which is the scooters, the e-scooter system. And that's taken off hugely, hugely. I think since, uh, since well, not I think, uh, since since October, there's been over sort of 615,000 miles um, done on these e-scooters throughout the city. And they're extending the service. So there's absolutely the desire there to find a different way of getting around the city. And they're thinking of sort of pollution control zones, so banning diesel cars from the city centre. Um, ever since I moved here 30 years ago, there's been talks of tram systems going through there. That'll never happen. So cycling and e-scooters really seem to be the way forward. 
And mm. and it's been noticeable that the more people are using it, the greater allowance or the greater leeway cars are giving it as well. So it feels like it's making it slightly safer. How that is now the pubs are open again, um, we'll, we'll have to see. It's also things like safety around helmets. I, I use the e-scooters um, mm. before, but you, you have no choice but just to get on and then you're whizzing along next to cars. And in any other scenario, we would be telling people not to get on bikes and onto scooters. Um, and so there, I do think it goes back to that infrastructure. We're kind of opening opening things up. Um, and who knows if then it creates other issues as far as accidents and things like that, if you can't have helmets You'd kind of you'd kind of hope that someone like, you know, that a city like London would grasp hold of the opportunity of the pandemic with perhaps reduced numbers of people um, in the city and then trying to work out how to tempt people back to Oxford Street. I know they were talking about building a hill at the at Marble Arch, weren't they? Kind of a temporary hill as a tourist attraction, which just seems like a really bizarre thing. It's like, well, no, why don't you just pedestrianize the main shopping street and make it easier for pedestrians? Because now you've got the opportunity because it's not quite so gridlocked all the time. I think that's what they did in France as well. I think they turned over large parts of uh, Paris. I think the mayor turned over large parts of Paris within 2020 to become sort of easier, more open bike spaces. And I think this was a sort of a measure that underpins the, um, you know, the bike, the bike scheme. I had a look some stats for France, actually. Apparently half of all, um, all the French people surveyed declared they used a bike, although only 23 said that they used them once a month. And it, it was 5% used them daily, basically. So right. just to give you some reference, that's 3% in the UK that use them daily from 73% that never, ever cycle in the UK. But what I'm interested in is how environmentally friendly is Lycra? I, you know, the, the use of Lycra is growing and growing, and it's not always pretty. I'm just, I'm just hoping that's sustainably produced. <laughs> it's, I, I think it's rarely pretty, unfortunately. Uh, right. Um, let's move on to our second article. So this is taken out of the Observer Um Vodka, toothpaste, yoga mats. Um, new technology basically is making items out of thin air. Uh, so this is in conjunction with um, something that, that's uh, going on at the at the Science Museum. So an exhibition called Our Future Planet, which is showcasing prototypes of gas harvesting machines. And it's literally machines that are taking um, carbon out of the atmosphere and producing goods literally out of thin air, it seems. I had to research into this. So I saw the company called Air Vodka, which are the guys that are literally using CO2 and water to create vodka. I mean, at $70 a bottle, they literally are making money out of thin air. Um, <laughs> but, but going deeper into this, they're using the same technology around this to um, create rocket fuel from CO2 and also yeah. glucose as well with the mission of supporting life on Mars. So it's a pretty broad scope um, within this type of technology. There's similar similar things around collecting with panel. They're looking at panels. So obviously for a while people are putting solar panels on their on their roofs and there's other with similar technology drawing kind of CO2 and water. So I think it's something that might be you know a little bit more common. It's going to take a while for it to adopt. I haven't seen much of this technology, to be honest. I did have to dig around. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, the article makes makes the point that it's quite expensive at the moment. You know, it references right in the last paragraph that mobile phones 20 years ago, expensive and awkward to use, but they've been improved upon relentlessly. And we might be able to do that for carbon capture machines. But, you know, running through it is, is that strong theme that we are spewing more and more out into the atmosphere, reducing the amounts that we create alone is is not going to be enough. Um, yes, lots of schemes around planting trees and whatever else, but it needs to be a combined effort of reduction of the amount of carbon dioxide being produced and green measures and maybe the use of technology like this uh, and putting these panels on the side of buildings or putting them in filters in, 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 in power stations themselves and trying to see how we can use all, all, all the various different methods we've got to, to, to make a positive impact, right? I think that technology side of things, it's a really interesting pattern. So coming from a software side of things, we're used to getting something out into the market early, testing, refining, and iterating. And obviously, there's a big, big community around open sourcing. So from our point of view, it's open sourcing of code. But looking at this, open sourcing of the technology around carbon capture and open sourcing around that conversion technology can only accelerate the growth of the ideas, the initiatives and the applications. So, you know, with something as existential as this, you've got to really hope that this would be widely available. And there is the real incentive towards sort of using open source technology around this to to sort of accelerate the growth of the ideas and, and how it gets implemented as well. I think also, as you said, calling out in the article about the cost, it's also looking at the wider impact of some of the activities. So when, when we're talking about greenwashing um, and sustainable businesses, I mean, we're, we're a sustainable business as far as we're reusing the economy, but we're going to need to look at our whole supply chain because if we're partnering with somebody who's picking up the items and cleaning them and dropping them off and they're not using, you know, um, environmentally friendly products and vehicles all those kind of things it's like what are you having a negative impact in some other way and so the amount of energy going into some of this activity or the cost does it completely offset the the kind of benefit um on a on a i think that's some of the information that isn't readily available to individuals and consumers to help make informed decisions so on a completely different level but to, to I guess try and example, give my example is I switched to almond milk at one point so I was like oh that's great for me and all the, all other reasons and then you see how much water is needed to produce almond milk so great for my gut terrible for the planet um, and so I don't think we're great in sharing the true kind of end-to-end positive and negative impact in lots of like products, services, technology. And so some things on the surface look great. Um, and then actually, and I'm not saying this isn't a, a great, this is obviously going to be a bit of a game changer in, in the future, um, but it's it's the kind of holistic impact and the information behind it that I think isn't readily available to help us better understand the opportunities like is this thing the thing to be investing in or is it some of the other technology that um, kind of exists it's around the behaviors and if we're not changing the behavior that we have around consuming material around the way that we process the way that we farm like you say it's a it's 3.5 gallons of water for each individual almond 
grown mainly in California. It's insane. And if we're not changing that behavior, there's, you know, as David Attenborough said, there are too many people on the planet. If we talk about sustainability, there's it's almost an unsustainably large number of people on the planet. So it's not just about sort of enhancing and making more sustainable what we do. It's literally changing what we're doing changing the way that we consume and throw away uh, and making things more reusable, recycling and, and, and actually changing the purpose or use. And I think one of the things I like about the, the platform economy or the share economy is you're, you're utilizing underutilized resources. It's being used again. You know, something I know that's, that's done at Yearn as well. It's, it's taking something that's not being used and giving it a new lease of life. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes we often think about wasters was saying to David earlier about what goes into landfill, but actually waste is if you're not using it. And so if there's lots of things that exist already and we're paying to have more produced and packaged and shipped and then for it just to lay around somewhere, then that's wasteful too. I think the the, the bit I struggle with is the education and being informed. So like I was saying about the almond milk, I thought that was a good thing at one point. And then it, there's no way to compare, easily compare the options. So I think people are making changes. We're becoming obviously a lot more conscious over the last few years around climate change and sustainability. And there are all of these services and products and technology. So the, the intent and interest is there. But how do we know if it's a good switch or not, or which is the best switch, I think is a bit that's really hard. Um, I watched Seaspiracy the other day on Netflix. Well, I think the thing in that for me was some kind of light bulb moments about how much we just don't know. So we talk about tree planting. Yes, it's great. We talk about, you know, not cutting back um, and the impact on the Amazon. And then there was something in Seaspiracy that says the microorganisms in the water um they do four times as much for us as far as co2 emissions as the amazon so why how is that not something that is more well well known um and what we're doing to the ocean i mean we do know on, on some levels but it's very much focused around trees and actually we could be doing so much more if we focus yeah. on, on the ocean so that's you know we're making decisions um, and we're trying, but I think as individuals and consumers, it's really hard if you don't have this day to say, actually, you know, we have meat-free Mondays. Maybe you want to have a day week that you weren't eating fish because this is the impact of that. And I think that's the bit that's missing. Um, I think I think my problem with all of this, and it is slightly off topic, but I, I've got a uh, my brother-in-law and his partner, lovely, bless them, but they are very evangelical kind of <laughs> vegan advocates right now. Um, and for various reasons, veganism doesn't really work for me or my wife because of various health things diet wise. So we can't, we can't be full-time vegans. It just wouldn't work for, from a health point of view. And it's like, to Carly's point, I get, I get, I, I totally get that there are positive changes that you can make, but actually just, just because something is vegan doesn't make it inherently good. And we will shift on to talking about Oatly and monoculture in a second. So it's, it's quite well quite well linked with 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 almond milk but you know just because something is is on the surface of it good it might in itself be damaging the planet because it's overproduction or perhaps monoculture and and that's not necessarily a good thing and and people people do just kind of go ah vegan that's good therefore everything else is bad without actually looking into a huge amount more of the detail behind it 
Agreed. And I think there's sometimes people feeling a little strongly around perfection. So I used to when we could travel quite a lot. And then so there were comments around, well, if you were that worried around sustainability, um, would you maybe fly less and all those kind of things. And there's lifestyle choices as far as, as you said, about your health and the food that we eat. You know, everybody, if everybody is making small changes and is just aware and making positive steps, that's better than trying to be perfect because nobody's going to be perfect so I do yeah I see your point I think sometimes I've got into lots of sustainability groups recently and sometimes it does flare up where it's unless you're doing absolutely everything perfectly which you can't anyway and seen there's there's that kind of waving the flag for it which I think goes against the good work that lots of people are doing just day by day carrying your water bottle (laughs) don't buy water bottles every day yeah do you think that's just uh, like the evangelical side of it is just, um, you know, it's just a signal of, of the size of the problem and the fact that we really do need to change quite significantly. I was looking at some of the figures and things that were coming out of the latest um, environmental uh, conference around this, uh, you know, 2050, for example, is too late. So the change needs to happen by 2030. So a lot of the targets are being reset. So maybe there needs to be more sort of forceful or evangelical approach to some of these measures. I know exactly what you mean, though, particularly around the sort of vegan um uh, 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 I guess message as well, but I guess that's just a size of uh, you know uh, indication of the size of what we need to tackle and and how important it is. I think you're right. I think there is some kind of shock and awe, and people want want to shock people into action, uh, and perhaps that does lead to quite an extreme reaction at times. <laughs> um, look, just just talking about um, milks. So, Oatly investors should be aware of climate change. This is the last one. I thought this was quite interesting because it it was specifically talking about investment and talking about the fact that um, there was an environmental risk to Oatly's business, and that was being picked up in their um, in the governance, basically around around their their listing. So, Oatly's going public. So. Um, their registration statement talks about climate change as a, as a risk. And that wasn't really something that I'd appreciated might even be in something like a registration statement. No. And now how many people need to go back and change theirs? It impacts so many businesses. Um, yeah. I guess very open and forthcoming because it is such a big issue that everybody knows, as you were just saying, Mark, about, you know, by 2050. Um, and so it's just throwing it out there. Now, is is it part of that? in raising awareness like as a responsible business and you know caring about sustainability part of that is education awareness and so maybe they've used that as a platform too to say actually this really is a problem because yeah it's not something I would have ever even factored as a, a risk item in, in in so many businesses and so maybe now they are waving that flag and using using that one piece um, as an opportunity for people to to be more aware but um surprising I agree. And I think Oatly in particular is really strong on that kind of messaging. I'm, we've got vegan elements in the house. I wouldn't say we were totally uh, totally sort of uh, plant-based in our diet, but we do use Oatly. So I've seen the packaging quite a lot around this. Yep. And they've got a number of messages on there from, you know, making their CEO the employee of the month, a bit biased, but all the way through to um, really calling out um, food producers to be more transparent around uh, the greenhouse gases and the carbon footprint of food production. So I feel you're right Carly that this is another another way of making a statement um, around you know environmental issues 
Um, and I think these guys, I didn't realize they've been around for 30 years. Oh, me neither. No. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I just looking around that, um, yeah, 30, 30 years they've been around basically another, another Swedish company, I think. Yeah, no, that, that is, I suppose that, that speaks again to the fact that it's trendy right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's at the forefront of people's minds, but they've obviously been, they've been, they've been kind of flying the flag for, for some time. Um, yeah, yeah the, the article, sorry, go on, Mark. No, I was going to say it is an interesting one for me. If you're an investor and you're looking at something that is closely related to environment, you know, to a food producer, whether that's grain, whether that's oranges, whether that's anything like that, environmental conditions are going to be a part of your sort of investment considerations. Um, you know, if you look at the way that climate change is impacting water levels, uh, you know, creating sort of freak weather conditions, for me, that would be an obvious part of of looking into it as an investor. Um, so, you know, it feels like it's been a good platform, but I, I can't believe it would be missed by these guys that are looking for any market indicators to understand the value of their commodity. But what I love is the fact that Oatly are, are referencing it as a risk to their own business by saying that if they, you know, if, they, if, they, if, if, if climate change impacts their business and their ability to produce oats, it'll obviously screw up their ability to create your oat milk and and therefore getting investors they're almost getting investors to think about this in a, in a in a wholly different way and and hopefully kind of changing lots of businesses out there lots of investment out there and 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 getting people to 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 think about this more in a more detailed and, and different way yeah and will it reach and it will reach even um consumers so it is that you know you're enjoying your oatly you can only continue enjoying enjoying your oatly maybe if climate uh, change doesn't have a huge impact so what are we all individually doing about that too um it's it's uh could be good marketing <laughs> <laughs> it does and there's some really big figures around it for oat milk as well it's sort of 80 percent lower greenhouse gases um than um dairy basically mm. or so it uses 60 percent less energy and um, uses 80 percent less water when compared to dairy as well so it, it makes a massive difference then what about compared to the almond milk that i've now shifted across from <laughs> That's, that goes back to my point earlier on is uh, around, you know, the impact or aware of the impact of dairy and it's high. And so there's these alternates. But actually, unless there's something that's easily showing you A, B and C options and you're making a choice based on your health um, and you're making a choice based on um, kind of cost and other factors. But one of those could be the impact. Um, and that information isn't readily available uh, when you're wandering around a supermarket and obviously they can't have all of yeah. them but it's not something that I think the majority of people when they're going out shopping think okay I know that oat milk takes up x percent less than almond milk and therefore I'm going to opt for opt for that um, and that's maybe something we could do more of for me the one big surprise or well, not previous the one big previous surprise around this was soya and how soya sort of came in and it was an alternative, but there's so much use of use of soya and it, it's, it's used in so many products that actually there were huge swathes of land being cleared um, in order to plant soya as well. And then you obviously have that monoculture, which creates issues in itself so that there's not that diversity around it. So, you know, just by virtue of the fact that there's so much being used and so much yeah. being produced, it creates other issues as well. So it kind of feels like you're just pushing the problem in another direction 
Look, there's loads of there's loads of good points. I feel that we're out of time, but thank you for joining me to talk through those those three particular articles. Just on a side, I could never be completely vegan anyway because vegan <laughs> cheese is crap, and I love pizza too much. But Oatly, very good brand. Do have them in the fridge. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Carly Bray, thank you for your time. Mark, thank you for yours too. Um, and if you've enjoyed today's episode, there are five other episodes, uh, so there's plenty of insight there to have a think about on, on this World Earth Day. 